Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. I am one of your hosts, Michael, and I'm very proud to be a Gryffindory, Gryffindor, Ist, Gryffindor, Gryffindor. Um, yeah. And this week I am joined by uh, my friend and uh, co-host and the man that I do trust very wholeheartedly and is quite loyal and, um, well, he's a bit of a badger sometimes. Jesse, how you doing, Jesse? I'm good, man. I'm good. That's uh, that's high praise for a Hufflepuff, bro. You don't usually get that from a Gryffindor. So, well, what can I say? We're brave. We're brave enough to to venture out and say nice things and very judicial and just and other traits that we are. Apparently, I'm very <laughs> flattered that you noticed me. Thank you. <laughs> so humble, sir. Um, but we are actually joined, uh, by two guests this week. Um, I will introduce the one that's been on our podcast before, um, first, and, uh, she is also, I think a very humble person and fits well with the whole Hufflepuff vibe. I feel like, um, Jesse's wife, Natalie, how you doing, Natalie? I'm good, Michael. Pleasure to be on again, uh, talking about Harry Potter. So I'm uh, excited to share my Hufflepuff wisdom with with the fans. Perfect. And then uh, the other guest we have on this week is somebody who hasn't listened to any single podcast we have done, not even the one that her friend was on. So I don't know if she's really a loyal Hufflepuff. My girlfriend, Lindsay. How are you doing, Lindsay? Hey there, Michael. <laughs> You stole my uh, planned tagline of welcome to hit the real, the podcast I've never listened to, but have plenty of opinions on. And um, I would just like to say another proud Hufflepuff. How does it feel to be outnumbered, Michael? I mean, I'm fine with it. I, I'm pretty self-centered, so. <laughs> just remember, dude, Potter stinks. Support Cedric Diggory, the real Hogwarts champion. My boy, Cedric. Uh, pour one out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, if you couldn't figure out by all of our banter right going on right now, uh, this episode is going to be on uh, Harry Potter, um, and we're going to do a pretty big one, just being this is going to be our uh, New Year's um, podcast. It's going to actually be released on that Saturday, so boom. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit longer. We're going to talk about the movies, uh, all eight of them. Um, we might break this into two chunks, so or maybe even three, depending how long we are. Uh, for easier listening vibes. And uh, yeah, so I don't know what else to kind of go on. Oh, uh, FYI, uh, there's a really sick meme that I sent to Jesse that's like, who's your Pokemon? Name that Pokemon. And then it's Cedric's dad. <laughs> and then it flashes to dead Cedric. And then it's like, my boy. And I think it's hilarious. But that might just be because I'm a Gryffindor. Or poor Cedric. I'm showing it to Natalie right now. Oh, good. <laughs> Cruel. <laughs> How dare you do our boy like that? I mean... I mean, I'm also still Team Harry, but yeah. obviously that child did not deserve <laughs> to be murdered. He, he he was unfortunately that i mean he 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 will be eternally in the chronicles of uh history as a very important part of the whole starting of the war he was a nice boy he was a nice boy but 
before we get too far ahead of ourselves and starting talking about the fourth movie, um, <laughs> should we get started by talking about um, the very first one, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, depending on where you are in the world? Where it all began. Where it all began. Wikipedia is very insistent that it's Philosopher's Stone, so... Are we the only country where it's Sorcerer's Stone? Uh, also, India and the Philippines. Hmm. Our sister countries. <laughs> I remember that being a thing and like people talking about it essentially because uh, Americans are stupid and didn't know what a philosopher would be. It was like the whole idea behind them changing the name. Sad. <laughs> Man, it's pretty sound logic. So. <laughs> Can um, I also take a step back and make a blanket statement about how much I love Harry Potter, but how deeply, deeply upset I am about J.K. Rowling and her crazy anti-trans pedestal hill that she's going to die on. It's a real uh, have to separate the uh, art from the artist here. So just needed to throw that out there. No, I agree. It's it is definitely this is. One of those times that's definitely a separation of the art from the artist. Art from the artist. It's just a very hard separation. I feel like needs to happen. Cuckoo. Yeah, we'd we'd both uh, concur with that as well. Perfect. So, um, talking about the first movie, first book adaptation um, came out in two thousand and one. Um, how we. How did you all feel about it? We can just do a round robin here of like what your thoughts were when you first heard this was being made into a movie. Um, how dedicated were you at that point to the Harry Potter fandom? Like just how excited were you to hear that they were turning this series into a major motion picture? Um, I was pretty excited. Um, I think I had started reading the books. Um one or two years before the movies were slated to come out. Um, so, you know, at this time, not all of the books had been written. Um, and, you know, just being able to see it on the silver screen um, was a really great experience. A lot of the movies, uh, and Michael, you can probably relate to this, Several of the movies were released mid-November, which is when my birthday is. So it was a birthday treat uh, to go see several of the Harry Potter movies a couple years. So, um, yeah, I was excited for the for the first movie and just excited to kind of see what they would do for that. Um, I was probably, when they initially came out, a little less discerning um, about, you know, some of the plot points and things like that. But overall, uh, excited for the movies. Same. Mega fan. Uh, started reading them, I assume, pretty quickly after they came out. I think I was like 10 or 11. Um, so I was pretty stoked for all of the movies and all of the books. I would go to the midnight release parties with my aunt to get the books and she'd buy one copy and let me read them first and then i think i went to all the premieres and boy what a time to what a time to be alive and to live through the harry potter movies yeah they were i mean 
everything surrounding them was just such an event, um, you know, and you just really kind of felt that community of people that loved the books and, you know, like, wow, these are my people. So, I mean, I, uh, I remember it was an after school program, I think was the very first time I ever heard about Harry Potter. Um, they did like a read aloud and there was one, one kid that like knew about it and had started reading it. There was one teacher that was reading it out loud to us and they were like being like real smarty pants about like knowing things about the, like the snitch and Quidditch and um, Hagrid. And they were being like real shits about it. I remember hating this kid because of this, because he was like in this no. And since I'm dyslexic, it was really hard for me to like find books that were new that were on um, um, being recorded and stuff like that and were in an audio format that I could listen to because it just wasn't as popular as nowadays. Like literally there are books that will come out on the same day that they're released in print are released audio format. So this one was like one of those ones where I had to get my mom to read it to me, which meant we would only read at night and it would only be like maybe a chapter or maybe half a chapter. So it was like this torturous process for me. Um, but it was so enthralling and wonderful that when I heard that they were making it a movie, um, I think it was what that was in 2000 and one. So I was 11 at the time. So right there. Yeah. Like you were saying, Natalie, it was a birthday treat um, for several years. That's what we would do is go out me and a group of friends for my birthday to watch the Harry Potter movie in theaters. So it was, it was always a special occasion and always such a wonderful moment to be a part of that time frame so that one kid was just being a real hermione granger about all the potter trivia <clears throat> nah it was i mean i feel like hermione granger just is a little bit better about it is that they want to give you the knowledge the, the, Her, hermione like knows this and then like wants to get you to get the knowledge this kid was like mm, just wait till you learn about what a snitch is a snitch is great he was a little spoiler yeah wow so like a Ravenclaw, but like not a good Ravenclaw. Oh, what a dick. Yeah, exactly. Hence why I didn't <laughs> like him. Oh, man. I, uh, if I sound weird, I, it's because I'm afflicted with something. It's not the Corona for my, for my rapid test. Um, I probably sound like I drank some bad polyjuice potion though. That's kind of what it feels like. So just FYI, uh, you're listening. If, if you are a fan and you're like, wow, he sounds weird. There you go. Um, I also big fan. Um, I think my mom helped introduce me to this series when the first book came out. And I was pretty hooked right from <clears throat> the very get-go. Uh, I was excited when the movie came out. Um, a lot of friends I went to school with at the time were not super big Potter fans. So that was kind of something I had to do on my own nerdy time away from my friends, kind of like Perry. So we had that uh, kinship, I guess. But uh, I was, you know, I was always looking forward to the next book and uh, remember being excited for the movies when they were coming out and yeah. I think that's um, kind of an interesting like idea is that uh, Harry 
she's not really great at writing. Um, when you kind of reevaluate it as like, and like kind of going back and taking a little bit of more of a critical eye, um, mm -hmm. I feel like Rawling isn't really great at, she's really great at world building, but like once you like peel back just like a layer, you mm -hmm. start seeing like a lot of problems with the world building she's put in place. And a lot of her characters are really great, but you start peeling layers back and you're like, oh, this isn't as good as I thought it was. But I just think it's interesting that so many people latched on to Harry as a character and Hermione and Ron just so easily. And it's impressive, like the fact that you, you still have people, obviously like adults, identifying as these characters and thinking about them that just happen to, you know, coincide with real emotional states of being which is just such an interesting thing to me is that she's not a really great writer but she did such a great job of kind of building this like a very a great facade to a world that was so easy to latch on to for so many people it's just such a like a, i just find it interesting is that i've read other authors that have a much better ability to write characters and write worlds that like have these laws and things in place than she is but still i feel more attached to these characters than i do to those ones i don't know it just you, you saying that you you know you had to kind of squirrel away this this uh fandom a little bit jesse made me think about that well i was i was also a wrestling fan growing up so i was pretty good at that sort of thing uh squirreling away secret fandoms so but uh yeah i think there is you know uh I think a way that it resonates with people that a lot of other books that have come out in our lifetime did not. And, you know, it had universal appeal too. like, I think both boys and girls found equal, <clears throat> equal enjoyment and attachment to this series. And uh, to the point that it's, you know, I think now looked back upon as kind of like our, you know, like Lord of the Rings or whatever that came out, you know, when we were for our generation. Yeah, I, it is, it is very interesting to think about it. And um, even going back as an adult, like I re I, during quarantine last year, I re listened to all of the books um, and remembering the excitement of like getting home and reading like having my mom read aloud to like me and then slowly like my brother got involved and then much later on i think my father started listening to them as well so we'd have like entire sit sounds where we'd do that and i'll talk about another a very a very vivid memory i have of one of those sessions when it actually comes up and is relevant to the storyline of the potter series but um yeah. What what does everyone what does everyone think about the movie itself? Like what were like even at the time now? Like what do you think about the very first Harry Potter, the very first cinematic introduction to this, um, the the Wizarding World? What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, and girls, let me be clear that this is a very open forum. So if we say anything that you do not agree with, please feel free to shoot it down immediately i will vehemently disagree with what i feel needs disagreeing with and that's why i love you um i as far as the first movie i think that it's um it's really good at capturing a lot of the small details um in the book um 
in terms of, you know, Harry's clothes are all oversized and don't fit well. Like you get, um, once they get to school, you know, they're, they're in their Hogwarts uniforms and you get a lot of the details um, that you find in the books are in the movies. So I think that uh, the first movie sticks pretty closely in terms of the kind of style and building that world of, you know, this is, you know, you see that the owls and, and all of that stuff. So I think it's, um, I think it does a good job there. Um, one of the things that I struggle with, and you guys kind of talked about this before in some of your other um, adaptation episodes is as, as a fan of the books, um, I have a really hard time not being super critical of the movies just because specifically in this series also like a lot of the maybe smaller details or things that aren't the major plot points um, are just skipped over completely in the movies. And, but a lot of those things set up the higher stakes later on in the series. So um just kind of you know, as a blanket statement, like I always have a really hard time kind of separating movie adaptations from the books. Um, and overall, I I like the movies. We rewatch them on an annual basis um, and, you know, revisit them often. But I think one of the things that I always come up against is I'm just like, oh, this is, this is not what it's like in the book. And I just have a hard time, uh, getting past it sometimes. I would agree, but I also watch them, I think with, uh, my rose colored nostalgia glasses on where at this point it's like a comfort watch. I do watch them annually, usually around this time. And I have started already. I think I'm in the middle of five. Um, so things that, I mean, when we went back and listened to the book series again last year, it was just like um, so shocking. Like, oh yeah, that's in the book and that's in the book. And I, I mean, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but I think I've seen the movie so many times that... Um, it's at a point where it's kind of overridden my memories of the the books and it is just such a comfort thing still. So I probably give it a little more grace than I guess I should in terms of judging it as an adaptation or even separating it as an adaptation, maybe. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, you like prime examples of like the first book that is left out in the set or is left out in the movie is like um, one of the biggest, I think is Hermione's challenge with the poison. Um, when they're getting mm -hmm. to the 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 Sorcerer's Stone, like that's completely omitted from the movie. Um, and I feel, and not to say that she doesn't get her own moment, she does with the whole um, devil devil, devil sna snare. Devil snare. Um, I can, mind you, I can recite the name of that plant like it's nothing, but other real plants, I have no idea. Um, but she she kind of gets it. She does have that kind of a challenge there, like using her um, knowledge, and so that's kind of a nice part of it is that I feel like they did still give her a moment to shine like the other two did. Um, but it is an interesting thing where it's just like, when you look at it and you reread the book, you're like, Oh yeah, I forgot that she did that. I just completely blanked on it. Or 
just descriptions of like the ghosts. Uh, there's like the entire thing with the ghosts and the the Christmas part or um, oh, nearly headless Nick's nearly, party. Nearly headless Nick's, uh, uh, party with all the other ghosts and like the rotting food and they're like the only kids that get invited which is kind of weird so yeah it's it those types of things that when they remove those from the books i feel like there's sometimes it's good stuff where it's the party with nearly nearly headless nick um that's not super integral i feel like to a lot of other things except kind of explaining some of the other ghosts but then in the same hand they the other ghosts do come back up and are kind of important later in the books but they never really develop them past that plus they also cut out peeves the poltergeist which is lame sad yeah sad choice there. yeah yeah real real missed opportunity i feel like with that one i will also say though that they did nail the casting like those three main characters that is pretty much exactly how i saw them in my head yeah i would agree the, the the leads the three leads i guess harry is the lead but they're kind of leads too um <clears throat> are all pretty spot on and how they grew and evolved throughout the series i think is pretty special for something like this and they probably could not do better if if and when we'll say they take another crack at that but um i i really like most of the casting i think across the board in this first movie i certainly like richard harris's dumbledore a lot more than michael gambin but we'll get into that later um i think he's more faithful to the temperament and the spirit of said character and i think he was missed later on um i uh i don't envy these filmmakers whatsoever because i think when you're adapting these massive novels that are in some cases pushing you know almost a thousand pages i think that's just an impossible task to adapt something like that into a two and a half hour runtime so that the studio can get in as many showings as they can and make their their scrooge mcduck bucks off of it but um i think that also you know it puts them in a tough situation. Um, so I, I give them some grace with that in mind. I also think some inconsistencies uh, crop up in this series as we go on. And I think that just some decisions that are made in terms of omissions from the uh, novels are really disheartening. And I try to just view them as films and as adaptations and not get too caught up in my fandom. There's a couple of points where that's a little hard for me, but um, this first one um, I think is, you know, probably the most faithful adaptation of all the ones that they did. Um, I think it also feels like an adaptation of a children's book that is now a children's movie. And when I'm watching it is, I guess, uh, intrigued as I am or, you know, because I, I know what's going to happen is, I guess, happy as I am to be back in the world. I kind of feel myself getting antsy during these first two movies and like, come on, let's let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> let's get a little further here. So I uh, and that's hard because, you know, obviously it is a kid's movie, but it just I think it feels a little dated in that regard. 
Yeah, well, and I think with the first two movies, they're both um, directed by Chris Columbus, and yeah. his style is children's movies. Like, he did, uh, like, the American Tale, and he's he really... He did Home Alone. Yeah. He did he, Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> he has a lot more of those kind of, like, childlike movies. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also just something that you see in the book, like, as as we jump from, you know, year one to three and later in the series, like a, the books get longer. Um, so I think, you know, there's a level of detail in the later books that just wasn't present really in the, the first three. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, the source material that they're working with, um, stays more true in the first couple movies, but as they mature, I think we see the films mature as well um, in some good ways and in some ways that are really annoying. Yeah, <laughs> that's understandable. I think when I'm watching this, though, I think I just feel kind of bored by what's happening. And maybe that's because I've seen it and read it so many times that I've just kind of been there and done that enough. Um, but or maybe I'm just turning into a grumpy, bitter old man. I mean, you never know. So I think it's the latter. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Could be. Could be. Could, uh, should have heard our Dune episode when I was complaining about the loud noise. So <laughs> <laughs> you say that. And sorry, this is a complete tangent. We were talking with my cousin over Thanksgiving, and he was like, Everybody else that had seen it was just like, yeah, it was deafening. And he was like, I didn't think it was that bad. And we were like, dude, like there was parts I couldn't hear the dialogue. And he was just like, what parts? And I was like, in the tent when he's talking. And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I could hear it perfectly. Um, he's got ears of a hawk or he's alive. Yeah, apparently. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the movie is a great, It, uh, I think it really does capture a lot of the iconography from the setting very well. It does establish a really nice um, roadmap, I feel like, for architectural-wise, um, yeah. uh, clothing-wise. A lot of the stuff, I feel like they do kind of keep that through line pretty well from the first movie going forward, where it's like it doesn't... There's not too many times that I ever felt like when they go to Hogwarts, we're in a completely different Hogwarts based on the kind of architecture. I know they add some things later, like that horrendous wooden bridge. I hate that bridge so much. Um, I don't know why; it just irritates me. Um, the like, I don't ever feel like they're not at Hogwarts when they are there going forward. So I do have to compliment this first movie for really setting that tone and kind of the um, artistic style that the other movies carried through. So, yeah. Um, Do we have more thoughts on the first movie or do we want to kind of start going towards talking about the second one? Because I feel like the first one is very rose tinted and nostalgic. There's not a whole lot else that I have to say about it. Um, R.I.P. John Hurt and I guess Richard Harris, too. Yeah. And uh, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman as well. Uh, I try to forget about that one. But. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think just overall in the first two movies, like Jesse said, um, Richard Harris was just such a wonderful Dumbledore. And um, he 
took the role because his granddaughter was a fan of the books, which is, you know, just so heartwarming. Um, and yeah, I, I think the two movies like that's definitely going back and watching it, um, seeing that Dumbledore, um, I think is a highlight in those first two movies. Well, this doesn't always happen, but it's one of those just so faithfully, you know, adapted roles that when I go back and I read the book, I hear his voice when I read Dumbledore lines. Like that's just what Dumbledore sounds like to me now. No, I mean, it's very fair. I think a lot of the, a lot of the cast, I mean, Alan Rickman, I, that's who I picture Snape as now. Anytime I'm reading it, it's his face. It's his mannerisms that I see. See, um, I struggle with that though. And do this, you? This is more apparent as we get into the series. So I'll elaborate on it more, but I love Alan Rickman and I think he's funny and I loathe Snape in the books and I think he's a colossal butthole so I couldn't it's just hard for me to like hate Alan Rickman as much as I do oh. Snape the character yeah I think that's definitely one of the characters throughout the movie where you really kind of have or really have to separate like the movie character Snape from the book character Snape because they're vastly different yeah. and i you know and i think alan rickman as snape was phenomenal and there's definitely you know it was a great casting choice but then yeah going back and rereading the books you're like oh yeah he's not really oh, he an asshole yeah as much an asshole in the movie as he is in <clears throat> these books i just don't i just think he didn't give enough time to be an asshole in the movies that's really what yeah. i bet he could uh, yeah for sure uh, but i uh, <laughs> I always think he's funny, like in any villain role, because he's such a good sarcastic prick, and I love him, but that could just be me. Yeah, well, I mean, and and I think that's one of the other things, you know, just in, in terms of, you know, that adaptation quality of, in the movies, you really don't spend a lot of time in any of the classes that they're at in Hogwarts, you know, it's just clips here and there and a lot of the times in the in the later movies like you don't see any of their magical education no. um whereas in the books you know that's it's featured pretty promptly in or this, pretty um in this one you do yeah and you get less and less of that kind of like you get a lot of quidditch and get less and less of that as we go along and that's just the consequence of you know almost thousand right page books being yeah. adapted into this but no, all I'm saying is Alan Rickman playing the sheriff of Nottingham, and he wants to cut a guy's heart out with a spoon, and they ask him why, and he says, because it'll hurt more, you twit. I mean, come on. How, how am I supposed to hate that guy ever? I mean, yeah, but then you got to think about when he invades Nakatomi Plaza. Uh... I, I loved him in that, too. Hmm, see, wanna... I'm more of a Love Actually type of <laughs> association of Alan Rickman. Where uh, Mr. Bean is uh, packing the gift that he's buying for his assistant his instead of his wife. Yeah, that's I love that too because he's freaking out about getting caught, and that's yeah, it's funny. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, no more Rickman tangents for this movie. Yeah, overall, the first movie I'd say is probably like an eight of ten. 
Yeah. Eight is good. Fair. I mean, it's not our sanctioned, arbitrary, hit the real rating system, but yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, I would give it maybe three and a quarter reels. <laughs> Out of five? Out of five. Out of yeah. five. Yeah. So eight for ten. Yeah. But the, yeah. we got to throw in the arbitrary hit the real rating system. Of... This is the only place anyone uses it. So. Yep. <laughs> Noted. And it like it and, it, and it's almost like it doesn't actually matter. <laughs> like ratings are arbitrary. Yeah. So I think we should probably move on to number two, uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Um, so the movie came out in 2002. Uh, the book came out in 1998. Um, so uh, pretty, uh, I mean, it sequentially came out, you know, it's at least at this point, we haven't reached that point in the timeline where we were baited, like sitting on our edge of our seats where the movies had caught up to the movie or the books and the movies were essentially coming out. And we were waiting for the next part of it and rewatching the movies furiously. So, um, and let's see two any other fun facts about that one? No. Oh yeah. No, that one was always just called chamber of secrets. We weren't dumb for that. So, Good job, America. We understand chambers and we understand secrets. Especially the latter. <laughs> um, I Number two is probably my least favorite book of the series. Same. Um, it, you know, like it's... It's, yeah, it's just okay. So I feel similarly um, about the movie. Um yeah i it's okay <laughs> i did um i would say that i thought that i might think that the movie's better than the book in this case um obviously i'm a fan of all of them but uh the second book just never really did it for me and the second movie meh it's, it's all right and as a a young uh preteen child Draco Malfoy in the second movie really did it for me as well. See, I was maybe a little bit weird, but I always had a crush on Ron. Like the ginger boys. Yeah. Poor Harry. No love. <laughs> <laughs> I think poor you, Jesse. Hey, well, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> You've got a little red in your beard. It changes colors depending on how much sunlight I get. <laughs> Which has not been very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I mean, I feel like it's an all right book. It was a second. I mean, I feel like it's a, uh, for the second one. It was still engaging. Um, I liked learning more about the, the monsters of the world that they had. That was kind of fun and cool. Mm -hmm. um, I liked the idea of kind of a, uh, the more of a mystery, like a murder mystery part of it. I kind of enjoy it more as an adult now. The fact that it does kind of have a different bit of a different um, stake in kind of the puzzle solving that they're doing, which is a very classic ch uh, children's book trope is like the puzzle, like solving puzzles. Mm -hmm. um, but I do like the fact that it has like this kind of like there's 
people actively being hunted down opposed to all the rest of the kind of the mystery solving stuff they do later is that there's no one actually like directly hunting down people that they're dying um, or being petrified in this case. Um, but the, I remember vividly in the movie when the snake like slams in through one of the tunnels, I do remember jumping at that. Um, and that I was not expecting to be scared in a Harry Potter movie, but that's that's really the only other memory I have from that, and the the asshole professor um, Gilderoy Gilderoy Lockhart. Um, oh yeah, and Kenneth Branagh was phenomenal in that role. I again, like, I think they just nailed the casting for that character. Um, and you know, you you meet Dobby in this movie, and. I think the animation that they did for him was pretty good for the time. And I think going back and watching it again, that animation holds up pretty well. Um, Yeah. So it was, you know, I think there are like, there are some good things about it, but um, I, I think just overall, because it's not my favorite book, it's also not my favorite movie in the series. Uh, I think least favorite book and least favorite movie. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Michael's uh, got one that he thinks is a real stinker <laughs> coming up, apparently. It, it just kills me when they're doing the fucking dueling class or whatever. And Branna's Lockhart is just being such a fucking pompous ass. And Rickman's just looking over at him like, dude, I'm about to fucking just destroy you. And then he does. And it's pretty awesome because Lockhart's so annoying and this is why I like Snape a lot more in the movies than I do in the freaking books. So fair, fair. Mm-hmm. Um what we also get introduced to uh Lucius Malfoy um played by um Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs. Um so I also think of w- wonderful casting there. He is so mm-hmm. plays him so slimy it's impressive. Um, just everything about him, the cane, the whole movements, his, uh, again, wardrobe, makeup, um, I'd hair. argue terrible wig. Oh, terrible, terrible wig. Um, but like that, I, I don't know. It just makes me feel like he's slimy. He's just got a fake wig on. I had only seen Jason Isaacs in the Patriot before this. And that was when he was the fucking like like psychotic like red coat guy that killed all mel gibson's sons racist mel gibson's sons um so coming from that to this was like kind of frightening for a 12 year old uh so i think in that way it was very effective but uh yeah i I didn't care much for, and this is kind of my problem in terms of world building and being consistent throughout the series. Um, and this comes up more than it, I guess, affects the movie here, but just seeing what Tom Riddle is supposed to look like at that age in this movie, and then seeing that not be held up later when they portray that character again, and him appearing and sounding different. Yeah. It really just kind of pulls me out of it because I'm not, as a viewer, I'm not 
it's not being consistent with the visual represent, representation of what that character is supposed to be. So in that sense, whenever I come back and watch this now, it feels like, well, this isn't going to be what he's like when this is revisited later. So I don't really, I mean, this is just some pretty boy pretending he's Tom Riddle. According but Tom to Riddle is supposed to be handsome. I know, but it's, it's different later on. And yeah. that bothers me. Um, <laughs> It bothers also, him, Natalie. Yeah. Pretty boys bother him. I mean, that, <laughs> that's also a fair statement. But uh, I would also say, I don't know. Um, this is where you start to lose, I think, the emphasis on Quidditch and some of the other aspects of, you know, daily, day-to-day uh, -day -day life at Hogwarts. And I think this is where the movies start to creak a little bit under the weight of these massive books they're trying to adapt um and it you know that's that starts to ramp up a lot more as we get along let's say yeah this um the chamber of secrets book was is 251 pages yeah um and i think the first harry potter is like 230 something mm -hmm. 33 i think Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's starting to i mean that's not a whole lot of difference but i think there's a there's a lot that doesn't you, you don't need as much world building as you do in the first one so therefore more details are added into this one where mm -hmm. we are more accepting of a lot of the stuff that we were being told the first time around in the first book indeed <clears throat> Yeah, but I don't have any other thoughts really about Chamber. I think, as far as adaptations go, it's I think again pretty close uh, to the book. I think Columbus found a happy place there, and he didn't want to piss off any Potter fans, so he could do that. He could he was afforded more of that because the books he was adapting were smaller. But uh, I, yeah, you know, it's it's a it's an okay story. I again I'm find myself getting antsy and let's go on. We're almost there. Let's, let's get to the good stuff now, please. But. I will say that starting um, in movie two, the one casting that I'm not a fan of is Jenny Weasley. I think most of the world agrees with you. I yeah. Think I think fine. they found a, a redhead girl and just stuck with her, but I, I do not like her portrayal of Jenny in this movie or any, or the subsequent movies. I disagree. I think there's not much there. I don't think she has much chemistry with the rest of the cast. She's just a skinny girl with red hair. <laughs> yeah. British accent. Wow. Okay. And she can throw a book really well. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we want to move on, we can move on to the next one. Um, I mean, Michael, you're the only Gryffindor, dude. So, of course, you like her. But uh... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I do I do also have a thing for redheads, so. Hmm, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Good, good save, dude. Good save. <laughs> it is nice to see representation of myself on screen. You have an entire family <laughs> representing yeah, you guys a, on screen. What a rare treat. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, we can move on to the next one. Uh, since you, this is apparently you need to give your reels rating, uh, I mean, I don't know. What, what does everyone feel, Natalie? What do, what, do, what do you feel like you want to 
Uh, two. Two reels. Well, yeah. Out of five. Yeah, it's my least favorite book, my least favorite movie. It's the, the second book, so it gets a two. Yeah. I agree. Consistency. Maybe 2.5. Maybe 2.5? Yeah. Seems pretty bulletproof to me. <sighs> Well, all right. Well, uh, we'll give it the arbitrary hit the real rating of a uh, two, two point five out of five. Yeah, that's uh, that's official. All right, boom, done in the books. <laughs> two, two point five. Um, perfect. So we'll move on to number three then. Uh, short on number two. Um, number three, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. And now we're on to the good stuff. I actually, so this is actually the one that I think is the least. Uh, the book I like the mm -hmm. movie. I'm not as big a fan of this one as I am of, I think this one's the worst out of all of them. Um, oh yeah, dude. I, I listed this in my, I know bad adaptation. I meant in terms of like world building um, and events and like things cool are getting things dark. actually happening. Yeah. Like that's, we're getting out of the, we're getting out of, away from the kids table and we're, we're growing up a little bit. So Right. Yeah, I think three might be my favorite book and the movie just didn't quite live up to that. Um, I, you know, they could have done so much more. I think this is where I really started to feel like, well, Hey, why'd you leave that out? And there was so much more about the, um, shrieking shack, track shack, shack, shrieking shack, shrieking shack. willow and, well, okay. So actually that's something I want to talk about. It's very interesting. So in the book, it talks about like, um, Padfoot, um, Wormtail, um, Prong and, uh, Mooney, like being like, why those are like their names and like why they are, uh, animagi and like why Harry goes, Oh, my father came back to life this night because there was a silver stag that came across the water as a Patronus. Um, but in the movies, I can, and I've forgotten about this until I recently rewatched, um, or was watching a review of it and someone was talking about it being like, he's like, I'm not a Harry Potter fan. So I watched this and was like, why did Harry think that his father came back? Like, why did he, why was that his jump to like logic? Like that was his logical conclusion. Cause he saw this, like, he just was like, oh, my father's definitely alive. And he's like, my girlfriend explained to me like the whole, like the stag was his like um patronus or uh, was his patronus and as well as like his animagi form and he goes that's not explained in the movie at all like does lupin even mention that no they don't talk right. about like the whole like reason they don't really talk about the whole reason why they changed like why there was why the wampum willow was a thing why wormtail turned into a rat it was so he could go up and push the little uh knot on the tree why uh uh, um, Sirius turned into a big wolf. Why? Um, He's a dog. Ace turned into the dog. You idiot. He's a dog. Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> I was. I wanted to say Lupin, and I was like, no, that's Wolf in my mind. Um, but then, like, why James turned into a stag was essentially to like shuttle this werewolf around during the full moon and stuff. So it's just like an interesting thing that's like. I feel like this is where they started relying on people knowing the content of the books to skirt around giving better explanations of, for the movie. So it's in um, somebody that talked to us recently was, it, is this a standalone, a standalone identity? Is it a standalone picture? 
No, because it leaves out so much that helps it tell its own story. Yeah. And I think that, so with this movie, I think, you know, this is where we see a change in director. Um, and you can definitely kind of tell that the tone and the style of the movie is different. Um, and I think like one of the things that annoyed me the most about this movie um, was how much they're in muggle clothes. Like they're barely in their robes while they're at school. And like, again, that just like kind of takes you out of the wizarding world that you've been in for two, for two movies previously. So like that drives me, that drove me crazy. And then, um, one of the other things is just whenever there are just things that they do in the movies that are kind of inconsistent with you know, the, the wizarding rules. Um, so like the, the movie starts with Harry practicing magic in his bedroom, which is against the rule, like, which is against the rules. You can't do magic outside of Hogwarts. Um, so there are things like that in the, in that you see a little bit more in this movie that just are in, are so inconsistent with the book. So it's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword where they expect you to know a lot and have read the books, but then they do things that are like in direct contradiction of what is established in the books as well. Well, not even just the books, but with the first two movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the point I was trying to make too, is that the further we get into this, the, the fewer guidelines I think they stick to in terms of the world they've built. And they kind of just change things on a whim, depending on if it will serve them stylistically or not. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, I think a poor representation of what this could have been uh, in terms of, you know, really cohesive, uh, multi-layered series that continues to build upon itself, you know, uh, uh, installment after an installment. Instead, I think the tone gets darker. Um, we definitely get more mature performances from the actors here. I think Radcliffe and uh, Watson in particular are really good in this. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think the stories get any richer despite getting, you know, some of the more of the lore that the fans are looking forward to. Yeah. And I do. I also think it's interesting that they, um, this is more of a complaint I have with the book. As soon as you add time travel to any sort of world, yeah. it like messes up everything mm -hmm. because why couldn't they use this time travel device in so many other instances later in the story, mm -hmm. as well as in the movie, Hermione's kind of a, giant jerk to ron for gaslighting him the entire fucking movie she's she like shows up and harry gives like this is kind of like oh oh you are here okay whatever we're going about our day da, da, da. and ron's like wait you weren't here and wait hold on these two classes are at the exact same time you can't you but you're both you're taking both of them i don't understand and hermione's like no that's crazy you're crazy ron and it's like wow, you're kind of a jerk, which I don't remember in the same like degree in the book. Um, 
her being so cavalier about this like experience ron is clearly pointing out doesn't make sense um and just kind of it's just the whole time turner situation in the book and i feel like in the movie it just highlights so much more because it just feels I don't know so much more integral and there's I have such a more vivid memory of them doing the time turner in that because it it shows up so much more she like suddenly pops into middle of classes when it just would make more sense that she would just come from a bathroom before the class even she she has power over time like why is she starting in the middle of this class that's already 10 minutes in why isn't she time turnered herself back like 10 minutes before the class it's, whatever sorry this is me just being frustrated about time travel in this <laughs> Slippery, but yeah I, it's just kind of i i really enjoyed the book this movie was just real crappy and i have to agree with you natalie i hate the fact that they're in civilian clothes quote unquote so much more than their like robes i do but that's the thing i love the fact that they do kind of talk about um their first year they were so like prim and proper their ties were always tied it was always they were always very clean their second year was a little bit looser and their third year, you know, they're reaching that angsty teenage years, but also like they feel more comfortable around school. So you do see them like when they're walking to do the whole um, class around uh, the myst uh, magical beasts. Um, they like are they're like their shirts are untucked, their ties are undone and things like that. And it's like, that's what I wanted to see. But then like the half of the movie, they're just like, yeah, we got robes and stuff, but we're in jeans. Muggle clothes. What's up? Levi's, maybe. I wonder if they have like wizarding jeans. No, no, that's a question I have. In the real world or in Harry Potter world? In the Harry Potter world. I mean, I wonder if there's just like wizarding muggle impression clothes or like muggle imitation clothes, like an entire market for that. Well, in the first book, they're remarking about how like odd some of the people look to the Dursleys who are out and about the day Voldemort disappeared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just see this is where I have so many more questions about the world, the world of the like the wizarding world that I want to know more about. So I want more like content from it, like a TV series um, that's set more in the modern day, like where we are after this. Like also the, this is this, this world starts this at this point starts highlighting how much wizards are jerks. Um, they have like these ghost things that literally suck the happiness out of you and your soul, but it's okay for them to be around kids and like have no supervision as they like are going to school, like kind of just shows you how much wizards don't give a fuck and give zero shits about anything. Well, I mean, and this is another, you know, again, it's like a small detail that's left out, but it makes a huge, like. It makes a huge impact because Dumbledore is really against having them there, but it's something that, you know, the ministry kind of forces. And um, I mean, you, I don't know that we really see Dumbledore besides like the opening feast. Like you don't really see him at all in this movie. And, um, and you know, maybe that's because they were making the transition from, Richard Harris to Michael Gambon. So they were easing us in for what would be a traumatic performance in the fourth movie. But um, 
you know, again, like there are just, this is where I think the third book, there are so many little details that end up being, you know, kind of huge turns in this series. And I feel like the movie wastes a lot of time on inconsequential things uh, in the movie versus giving you more of that content or more of the context for what are big events later on. Yeah. They also uh, leave out the whole plot line of the firebolt being sent to him until, I mean, they include it as like a little bit at the end of the movie, but oh, yeah. I that. that they missed mm-hmm. that, that I missed. Well, that's the result of Quidditch kind of being sidelined in this third one here because that uh, storyline has relevance because they're in the middle of a season and his broomstick gets destroyed. So he kind of needs that if they're going to beat dastardly Slytherin for the Quidditch Cup. Um, This 2001s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're fancy brooms that Draco's daddy bought him. <laughs> um, but uh, it always bothered me because this is my favorite book of the series too. It always bothered me that that wasn't adapted. I also understand why it wasn't because we're already running. I think we're starting to run at two and a half hours per movie here. Uh, this one is, I think, two hours and 22. So just a little so we're getting to the point where inevitably you're going to lose stuff like that. And is it the most important thing in the story? No. So it can be left out and you can move that firebolt subplot around or, you know, drastically trim it down in order for, you know, what's really at stake here. But I think as a book fan, it becomes harder to appreciate these movies for what they are and kind of step out of that mindset because you start losing more and more of the stuff that you really enjoyed from those. Yeah. And to to that point, Jesse, about the length of the movie as well, this is the, this book got up to the 317 pages. So yeah, it is a bit, it is quite a bit more in comparison to the first two as well. So yeah. And, we're, so much buddy we're just we're just getting longer <laughs> um yeah and i think michael gammon like to natalie's points was not in this a lot because they were trying to be respectful of that transition uh for richard harris uh, sadly passing away after the second one um i think in terms of how he portrays the character it's just weird overall to see somebody different. I think he does a better job in this one than he does in some of the other movies. And we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> but I think this was to that point, this was also the start where as a film fan, I'm just kind of confused about who Dumbledore is as a character even down to like his temperament and just how he deals with stressful situations because it's it's kind of all over the place yeah 
I will say uh, one behind the scenes piece about this movie. Uh, this was directed by Alfonso Alfonso uh, Kilron. Um, <clears throat> he assigned the main cast, uh, so the Radcliffe, Grant, and Watson, uh, the three leads, to write an autobiographical essay about their character written in the first person, uh, spanning birth to the discovery of the magical world and including the character's emotional experience. Here Allen recalls Emma's essay was 10 pages long. Daniel's was exactly two. Rupert didn't deliver the essay. When I questioned why he didn't do it, he said, I'm Ron. Ron wouldn't do it. <laughs> so I said, okay, you do understand your character. <clears throat> So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I I like those types of moments that you hear about those stories. I think there was something very similar to um, when they were asking the cast. I think it was, I think it might have even been the next movie. I can't remember exactly, but they were asking the cast, you're deserted on an island. What one book would you bring? And I think um, Emma Watson says like the Bible. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe says like a Harry Potter book. Um and there, and I think they ask a few others, and then I can't remember which one it was, but it is one of the, the, the twins that play Fred and George, um, and they just one of he says like, oh, I'd bring a, how to build or like how to build a raft, uh, book, and it's like it's kind of amusing seeing, hearing these types of stories and like learning like kind of seeing how they do actually some of the actors really do embody their own characters that they are portraying on screen is they have these almost sensibilities that are built into the characters they're portraying. So I, I do love that story though, is that write an essay and Emma Watson actually writes 10 pages. Daniel Radcliffe <laughs> writes two just as they were assigned to do. And yeah, he's just, I'm Ron. That's what I would do. I just wouldn't turn it in at all. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to give this one a, a rating. Three. What do you think, honey? Um, three. three and a half. Yeah, I, I'd say maybe a three, seven, five. The best rating yet. Wonderful. So an arbitrary hit the real rating of 3.75 out of five. It's official. Wonderful. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. This is where our bad boys come out. Um, do you see their hair in that in that movie poster? Um, they are dark. They're getting in fights. Um, a lot of people love this movie. I think it's only all right. Um, Cedric Diggory is beloved by many. Robert Pattinson, another uh, a bad boy. Um what else do we have going on? I really missed the um, Quidditch scene in this one from the World Cup. And then, of course, we have a definite lack of Quidditch because the season is canceled for the Goblet of Fire. And, of course, we have the now memeable um, Dumbledore yelling at Harry as he put <laughs> his name in the Goblet of Fire. Wow, you just gone rip shot, mm -hmm. rip shot and right into it. <laughs> And that's about all I got to say about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, to unpack all that, uh, I do miss the World Cup. I feel like that was kind of 
I mean, it's in there, but they don't show the game. Yeah. It's just not as impactful. Yeah. Well, again, there's a lot of setup that happens in the book at the Quidditch World Cup for major events that happen down the road. And because they just gloss over everything, like you don't get, like we don't meet Winky at all. Um, you know, there's the exchange between the Weasleys and the Malfoys with, you know, the Malfoys being snide about it, but the Weasleys are supposed to be in the top box with, you know, all the other important people watching the game and like, um, Every, like everything in this book, again, understandably, because I believe this book clocks in at close to 800 pages. Um, I like, honestly, I think this book should have been two movies, um, especially because in the series, this is the turning point um, in the series. And everything just gets smushed together um, and you don't, you miss all of the details, which are so, so important in this book for, for the big turn. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of my, my initial, this honestly probably ends up being, um, being one of my, you know, probably bottom three movies of the series. Just love the fourth book. Like we, I've reread the fourth book probably more than any other book in this series. Um, and so I just, they leave so much out that I have a hard time like watching this movie and being able to enjoy it. Hey, Michael. <clears throat> Would you like to play a quick game? Always, Jesse. I'm always up for a quick game. So, Gobble of Fire was directed by Mike Newell. And I'm going to give you two other movies from his filmography that he also directed. One was Donnie Brasco. You know, Johnny Depp, Al Pacino. You know, yep. classic gangster flick. Pretty good. One was... Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Cinematic gem, Prince of Persia, <laughs> Sands of Time, I think you mean? The very same. The okay. Very same. I say that because when I was watching this movie, it was driving me crazy because I felt like in some areas we get some like really good... Uh, some really good sequences. Uh, I feel engrossed by the story. And then I feel like we have others where the, all that gets thrown aside. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> and it's like pure spectacle from that point to the point where they felt like they borrowed the bad CGI from I am legend for like certain scenes. It's, I don't know. It's, this movie's weird, dude. I, I struggle with this one too. I I agree. It's it kind of feels like tonality, it kind of feels all over the place. Like Lindsay was saying, the bad boys are in town with the 
their hideous hair and mm -hmm. you know just so much of this um i do have to, i do have to say one thing about hair though i do enjoy, appreciate how hermione in uh prisoner ask azkaban like sees the back of her head and goes oh my gosh is that what my hair looks like from the back and then i feel like she has like this moment of like teenage clairvoyance where she starts like styling her hair much better after that point um at least as far as i can tell i'm i i think it looks good from that point on but i just that's something i always thought was funny but yeah i agree with it the, the, sorry what a weird tangent um <laughs> but i struggle with kind of the same thing the cgi feels kind of weird i feel like there's so much of this um to natalie's point that the book has that just gets left completely at the, out the blast ended shroots um scroots shroots Fruits. Mm -hmm. roots okay um uh so i feel like there's just so much that gets left out of what is a quite hefty tome um the first edition of the book came out it was uh 636 pages long Ugh. um <laughs> so yeah and i remember like seeing like it was like this chunky behemoth yeah uh, compared to the first like three books where it almost like you could fit oh like i think it was you could almost fit the other books inside of it i remember like thinking that as a small child and looking at it um <laughs> yeah yeah dude it's this is this movie <clears throat> excuse me <laughs> this movie really needed to have two parts as well like deathly hallows did and of course that never would have happened but yeah you lose a lot in four and it just the movie or the product that comes out of that undressing, we'll say, is it just feels kind of bare bones in a lot of ways. It's not consistent. Um, the good things that you do get, such as, you know, Brandon Gleason portraying Mad-Eye Moody, which is a lot of fun, or portraying Barty Crouch, who's pretending to be Mad-Eye Moody, is a lot of fun. Um, but for things like that it's just not i think again we have more issues with the world building i take a bit of offense to filch's character in this movie because in past movies even though you know he's kind of simple simple-minded i guess but uh he knows the castle and he is just so eager to catch one of these kids in the act so he can use some out of, of bed favorite torture methods um and in this one he's pretty much just played off as a joke like comic he's relief. there for the yeah the physical yeah. comedy and the comic relief and it's kind of an unfortunate turn that happened with his character after the third movie um i'm not really sure why they would do that other than they just felt like well i mean you have this character who's not a you know, who can't really do magic because he's a squib. Let's make him into a joke. <clears throat> but again, like, you don't know that he's a squib because that's not yep. anywhere in the movies. Right. But they assume, like, well, what can we do to, like, portray that character with the, like, three total minutes of screen time that he gets in the entire movie? Yeah. yeah. What possible uh, character could we insert that would add some sort of comedic relief 
and a good juxtaposition to this very serious character. So he's not the one that's being comical. What possible yeah. character could we add that might be in the book series? Oh, wait, P's the poltergeist. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you think about a lot of his, I, and I thought about this before, if you think about a lot of those comedic bits that he's in, because I have the same problem is that Filch is kind of this dark brooding guy. And then all of a sudden he becomes a, like this comedic relief for no reason than other than we need it. Apparently um, you could easily insert peeves into a lot of those scenes and make him still comedic relief, but not the one that's like, he, he's being laughed at because of how serious he is. And mm -hmm. peeves is fucking with him. So yeah. It's like they combined those characters together and then you lose the best part of each one. Yeah. <laughs> I also... A lot of awkward comedic relief moments like mm -hmm. Neville dancing by himself and saying, I've killed Harry Potter! And um, there's some other awkward ones in there too that I don't think are really needed. I mean, the biggest glaring one I think is Filch. My, my thing is like Filch running down the 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 main hall or the dining hall he's doing like, like that high stepping knee type run yeah that it's like awkward and yeah yeah <laughs> peculiar um and it just it's like i i sometimes i really want to be a fly on the wall for some like act uh directing decisions and being like yeah so what i want you to do in this scene is run down the hall as awkward as you possibly can because it will be funny it's like, but wouldn't we have some sort of like communication device that we could utilize to talk to each other or like some way of letting him know that something's happening? Nah, this is the way you got to do it. You got to run because you're a squib. But we haven't explained that in the movies. Doesn't matter. They know. They've read the books. Do it. It will be funny. Well, they had to set the tone up to then kill a kid at the end. Yep, exactly. Because <laughs> we can only experience the lightest lights if we experience the darkest darks. Wait, that's not. It needs to be the other way around. I, I mean, I, I don't know that this is true or not, but it does feel like this is the movie where the suits, I think, started to have more influence over what was actually going into production and what was coming out of that. Because you also have in the first task, that's what they're called, right? Mm -hmm. Tasks. I was going to say quest and that was going to be wrong. So go me. Um, and the first task when they're trying to retrieve the egg from the dragon, the, I just feel like the producers or the suits see that and they're like, Hey, it's Harry Potter and a dragon. Wouldn't it be fun if the dragon chased Harry around the castle and we had this really long pointless scene because it's a dragon. You got to do that, right? Yeah, dragons and wizards on broomsticks. That's, you know, that's magic. I, again, like, they're, and they spend, like, three or five minutes on that stupid scene. And it's, it's pretty like, long. It's yeah. a pretty long scene. And they do that, you know, I don't even know for, for what purpose. And it's like in in that stupid dragon chasing time, like you could have established things like Winky and like had, I, I mean, one of my biggest faults with this movie is that Winky isn't isn't mentioned at all, and it's 
like the Winky and Barty Crouch Jr. Like that all is like the means to the return of Voldemort. And so it just kind of all seems like happy. I mean, again, like it's just not explained well enough at all. Um, But then like it also, this is all like Winky being at the cap and you don't like hear anything about spew. Um, I was going to ask, this is, this, this is, is the book, or, yeah, this the is book. spew. Yeah. This is the book where spew happens. Okay. And, but that, you know, Winky coming, you know, they meet Winky at the world cup and there's the debacle there and she gets let go by crouch. And then Hermione is doing all her spew stuff and oh, finds right. out that Dobby is working at Hogwarts in the kitchens, and Winky is there too. And, and that's then how in the second task, Harry ends up getting the gillyweed is because Dobby gives it to him. And, you know, and in the movie, Neville's the one that suggests it. I feel like at least there, that fits his character. Yeah. He would be interested in something like that. So that, that's a good example of them, like trying to find well, a shortcut to yeah and and i mean like but again like i have such a hard time separating the books from the movies because that you know and i think again because at the end when they figure out that moody is an imposter you don't get his explanation of why he's there, how he got there, and like why these other things that may seem inconsequential are actually very consequential. So because like when Moody in the books, Moody is explaining to Harry, like, oh, I had to help you through these tasks to make sure you won. And he says, you know, I planted the information with Neville and I thought that you would reach out to everybody to try to try and figure this out but no. you were too arrogant and you almost ruined my plan so i had to resort to plan b and and let something slip in front of dobby and like i think you know the the house elves play a really big role in this movie in terms of that character but every like everything just gets cobbled together and I, I just, I, I, we re, we re the movie and I had to go back and reread the book because it just, it made me so frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> I do like all the, all the boys being flummoxed on how to properly court the girls and ask them out to the ball and that we have. Harry and Ron, who have overcome all these these mortal and these mortal dangers at the end of the last three movies, but talking to girls, nope, that's that's too much. Can't do it. Can't do it. It's too hard. It's too hard. Words are hard. I mean, I do definitely think at that age I would have tried to fight a dragon over asking a girl out. Oh, so great. I, I yeah. understand it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> That's but those parts of the movie that really engross me and where I can kind of forget about what's being left behind from the novel 
are fleeting to me in this. I think more so than uh, the last three. Um, I like how uh, this is sorry. This is super weird, but uh, I like how uh, Igor uh, Kurkorovich Kurkorovov. Kakarov. Kakarov. That's it. Why was I thinking? Oh man, what was I thinking? That's the other wand maker. That's the other one. That's where I was. Yeah, Gorgorovich is the wand maker. That's the what I was. Uh, but um, uh, Kakarov. Uh, I I like how he says "awus" in this movie a lot. <laughs> I don't know. Me and my brother like say that to each other all the time. Like that's like a joke we have is that we like "awus" um, just because of how he says it. It's funny. That's that's like one of my enjoyable moments out of the movie that isn't in the book at all. Mm -hmm. which I appreciate that's in the movie, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. I'm with Lindsay and I know Natalie is too. Gambin's Dumbledore is fucking atrocious in this movie. It's really bad. I still love, I think I still uh, showed Lindsay the, um, someone did like a Lego parody of that whole thing. And it's, it's pretty hilarious. Cause it's, you know, that sounds way better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it shows like, the book version, it's like Dumbledore calmly asked Harry, you know, <laughs> did you put your name in the goblet of fire? And it like shows like the little Lego Dumbledore walking up to the Lego Harry and like gently talking to him. And then it does like the movie version. And it's like, did you put your name in the goblet of fire? And it's like uh, the Lego uh, Dumbledore slapping around the Lego uh, Harry, just <laughs> knocking him all over the place. And yeah. I, yeah, I remember that scene being pretty jarring. Because mm -hmm. it is pretty, it seems vastly out of character for the Dumbledore. Even throughout the movie, he's just yelling. Like, yeah. He's, he's always very... in a bad mood. And yeah. if, if, even if you haven't read the books, if you have been watching the movies, this is not the character you were introduced to. And it's now someone we don't really understand. And it's awful for one of the most pivotal characters in the entire series. I don't know. I, I don't know if that was his choice or if they just didn't rein him in, but somebody or multiple somebody people fucked, up. fucked that up. Pretty yeah, good. there was there was definitely a that was definitely a, a a choice that was made there, and it not necessarily was a good one. Kind of like choices were made in the Prince of Persia movie, dude. So <laughs> it happens. Yeah, almost... starting with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> it's like there's a common thread here or something like that. No, I do. I like Ray Fine as Dumbledore. Okay, but I as think Voldemort. Uh, Voldemort. Sorry, no. four books in, already starting to lose it a little bit. <laughs> um, I, I like him as Voldemort, but yeah, that <laughs> that transformation scene just totally reeks of bad. I am Legend CGI. It, it, <laughs> it doesn't hold up well at all. I mean, I remember I remember being like really impressed by it. Yeah. Like the, the, I think it was probably seeing him on the screen, like seeing like the whole no. like noseless snake kind of vibe. And that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, in like in the books, like honestly, that chapter when I first read it was terrifying. You know, like it was the emergence of this super villain essentially. And, um, I, I do like Rafe finds in the role. Um, and one of the things um, that annoys me really about several characters is just how they don't get the eyes right for everybody. Like 
Voldemort is supposed to have these like red snake like eyes, which is, you know, supposed to make one of the reasons why he's so terrifying is because he just does not look human at all. Um, and then, you know, then Harry's supposed to have, you know, these green eyes like his mother and, uh, Dumbledore also, you know, is supposed to kind of have these piercing blue eyes that look like they're x-raying you. And I mean, I guess it's, that's hard, harder to do in film to really like kind of get those things across, but it's just, you know, something in the book that like Harry's eyes are mentioned so often. And then later Voldemort's eyes too, just the red that they are and just, you know, how, and I think that that also goes to what we find out later about Voldemort and why he's less and less human-like. Um, and that's just kind of something that's missed. And again, just like, I have such a hard time not being a stickler about things like that in the movie. I do like when Ron and Harry are talking about how they're going to ask girls out and they're supposed to be studying and Snape just keeps like shoving their heads down and like whacking them in the back of the head with the book that he's holding. Like, again, it's just, it kills me. I I love Rickman's Snape. Yeah. Like it's funny, but again, it's kind of like the Felch character. Like why does Snape need to be? comic relief well like and that's my thing too is that in that moment um if that was like you don't need to be you could easily stop them from doing that by Mm -hmm. shaming their entire house by taking house points away from them oh yeah you never you never see house points at all yeah exactly it's it's a kind of a thing it's the thing in the first movie and then it kind of dies away but like in in universe opposed to physically assaulting students Snape could do something that would be more detrimental to Harry and Ron and especially Harry because he hates how he thinks he's so popular or Snape perceives him as thinking he's so popular um, by just being like, no, I'm going to make his entire house hate him because he keeps fucking up like this by taking away points in front of everybody like public shaming. He's a he's a teacher. He knows that will work. He has the you power. Get things done. They had to get the slapstick comedy in wherever they could. Very true. Because again, I mean, they kill I, a child at the end. <laughs> I I just can't help but laugh at that. But that's again just because of Rickman. But yeah, I mean, we're only three movies removed from where we started, and it's already a world we don't really recognize anymore. And it's not because things are just getting darker and more mature. Yeah. Um, I do have to say uh, to Natalie on your point about the eyes thing, um, two things I do think it's interesting about um, you bringing up the eyes because I in the previous book, that is a big thing because there's if I remember correctly in the movie, there's a whole thing about um, Sirius telling Harry, I know you must hear this all the time. You look exactly like your father, but you have and he cuts him off and says my mother's eyes. Um which is funny because he he doesn't. But then there's that amazing meme where where it's like you have your mother's eyes and it's the child actor, uh, child child actress of Lily, like like kind of having her eyes halfway open and has like this real derpy look. And there's the same like they find another picture of Harry who also has a derpy look kind of thing. And it says (laughs) you have your mother's eyes and they both look like idiots because they have both derpy looks on their faces with their eyes half or eyelids half open. So. (laughs) there you go there you go 
Well, so. how many reels, honey, for Gobble of Fire? Um, I, I, again, like it's it's such a far departure from the books that I have a hard time with it. But just in turn, like it's an enjoyable movie to watch. You know, it's got a good pace. Um, again, you kind of get the turn of the series. And I think of the movies, this is the one where you get kind of more of that action that you're looking for. Um, and then it has, you know, like the Yule Ball where there's a scene with all the girls crying on the stairs afterwards. And it's just like, oh, yeah, that's definitely relatable to a middle school dance. Um, so I I give it a three. Um I I like watching the movie, but obviously the the book is <laughs> infinitely better. Bless you, Jesse, and uh, I too Thank give you. it a three. Yeah, I'm gonna go two seven five. I mean, I'll just give it a, a three two. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I wish there was more in it, but yeah. So arbitrary hit the real rating of three out of five reels. So fun. It's not bad. Not bad. Also, thank you for saying uh, bless you to Jesse, because now I can't edit out his sneeze. <laughs> I know I did it on purpose. I'm sorry. It's the polyjuice potion. <laughs> well, no, don't. I mean, sneeze away. I can edit that out. It's when people acknowledge something that I edit out that I have to subsequently edit out the other part of it. <laughs> it's a... Uh... Your Snyder Cut episode. <laughs> and with that, uh, Editing Michael here is going to break in and say thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Uh, we did not set out thinking these would be put into two parts, but in me finishing up editing, I noticed that the episode was extremely long, almost two episodes in length, and in fact was longer than what we'd normally do for one episode, even if I cut it in half. So we thought, hey, what we'll do instead of having one extremely long episode, we'll have two abnormally long episodes. So thank you so much for listening to part one of our Harry Potter uh, movie conversation. Uh, we'll be releasing part two uh, next week, and uh, I'll wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening to Hit The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. We try to get this podcast out weekly, usually on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays, depending on how much I'm drinking or how I feel, because right now I feel like crap. But if we got anything wrong during this conversation, or if you disagree with any of our thoughts or sentiments on the Harry Potter movies, like maybe Filch should have had more comedic bits, or Dumbledore is actually a very even-handed headmaster in book number four feel free to reach out to us at hit the real podcast at gmail.com again that's hit the real podcast at gmail.com love to hear from you we also have a patreon feel free to take a look at that in our episode description and next week we'll bring you part two of this conversation so like always hey keep it real mm -hmm.